Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes, and it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. What Was That Like contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is the show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. My guest today is Travis. He lives near Bismarck, North Dakota, here in the U.S., Travis is a man in pain. You'll hear it in his voice. He just lost his 16-year-old son, Brandon. Brandon had asthma, and that in itself is not really anything unusual. The CDC says that 1 in 13 people have asthma, and here in the U.S. that means more than 25 million Americans have it. And it's actually been increasing for the past 40 years. Brandon had had asthma for almost his whole life. He knew what it was like. He knew how to deal with it. He always had his inhaler handy for when his breathing felt restricted. On some occasions when it was bad, Travis would take Brandon to the ER for special treatment. It was just a way of life, something they were all used to. But one evening, it was different. Brandon was at home, and the only other person at home with him was his younger brother, Aaron. Aaron is 14. That night, Brandon's asthma flared up worse than it ever had before. His inhaler didn't help, and he ended up unconscious while Aaron performed CPR until the ambulance arrived. Brandon never woke up. But before he passed out, Brandon told Aaron something that Aaron kept secret until he told their dad a few days later. I'll let Travis tell that part of it. And when did all this happen? Father's Day weekend. 
At the time I had this conversation with Travis, Brandon had only passed away about six weeks earlier. I wondered if it might be too soon. But Travis wanted to tell this story because he wants other parents to be aware of the limitations of the medical facilities that are near where you live. And he wants everyone to be aware of the importance of being an organ donor. Brandon was able to donate several of his organs, including his heart, and his liver saved the life of a 10-year-old girl. That's the part of the story that Travis hangs on to, knowing that Brandon's death meant that others were able to have life. I'm a parent, and this story had an effect on me. If this episode affects you, whether it makes you think about life, or cry, or just give your kids an extra hug, then it's a success. If you'd like, I invite you to support this podcast by becoming a patron for as little as $1 per month at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And now, here's my conversation with Travis. Did Brandon have asthma since birth? Yeah, it was caught very, very uh, early on in his uh, childhood. Both him and his brother Aaron do have it. Okay, and Aaron is his younger brother who is 16? Or he's 14. 14. Yeah, 14. He's 14. Okay, and Brandon was 16. Correct. Okay. Can you describe, for people that don't know what asthma is, and, and I count myself among that group, I've never experienced it or none of my family sure. members have had it, what is asthma actually? Um, you know, it starts out as, you know, it's like a shortness of breath, you know, and, and you know, they do a good job on some of the commercials where they show like a fish out of water and uh gasping for air and regardless of how much you're trying to take in it's not the oxygen isn't getting into your your lungs and bronchioles all that close up and um therefore you're not able to take quality breath like you and i would and so you know he has a rescue inhaler that he takes when he needs it what does an inhaler do yeah, it will, you know, open up the bronchioles like that to allow that oxygen to get into your lungs and, uh, you know, to get that quality of breath like you and I would. So someone with asthma needs to really have an inhaler with them all the time. Yeah, they, they both had it with them all the time. Um, so it was just kind of like a natural thing for them that it was just part of their life that it was always with them. So You just get used to it. Yeah, sure. Can you tell us about, I want my listening audience to know a little bit about Brandon. Who, who was he as a person? Can you kind of just describe him? Um, he was a very caring young man. Loved to smile. Um, always happy. Loved hanging out with other kids. Um, his mom had a um, a daycare, and uh, kids just flocked to him. So he got to interact with those kids a lot then. Right. And, uh, you know, as for, you know, hobbies, he loved to work with his hands, um, woodworking, He'd help me work on cars if if need be, changing oil, doing things like that. Um, didn't care for school so much, but that's not really unusual, right? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but uh, I I knew that he was more of a 
of a person that was more hands-on than maybe schoolwork. You know, he loved loved music. We just uh, started going to concerts the last couple of years, and uh, that was kind of our thing. And uh, Metallica was our last concert and kind of our thing. So uh, had a great time. Very memorable moment. I think I saw a picture of that where you guys were at that concert. Right, yeah. So, yeah, he uh, loved to uh, do all sorts of things. I mean, he he was into, uh, he did bowling for a while. I mean, uh, some baseball. Tried things. And then, you know, as this came about, we, you know, I learned more and more about him as a person as at school and stuff like that. And to learn that he was very well liked by teachers, um, never afraid to help out, help others. And hearing those stories gave me another perspective of who he was there because you ask him how school is going and it's just like, eh, yeah, you know, just same old, same old. And they don't share that kind of information. You have to hear that from others. And so knowing that I learned even more about it myself afterwards, which kind of sucked that it took this to learn that. Did he ever talk about like what his hopes and dreams were for after school, what he wanted to do? <laughs> The best way to describe Brandon was when it came to being something, I always kind of joked about about it with him where, do you know how long that takes to do that? You know, like, you know, let's say you wanted to be a doctor and just like, you know, you don't like going to school, man. It's like, you got a lot of years of schooling there. And, you know, so, you know, it's not like there's a catalog that you get to pick from on what you want to be in life and then uh that's what you get to do you know so i you know whatever you want to do you got to put the hard work into it and be passionate about it and to get through it so he talked about various things he was one of those guys where one week he wanted to do this next week he wanted to do that but it varied i mean it, it could have been from police officer there for a while he he also said that he wanted to work with uh, needy kids which I was very impressed with him at a, at a kid his age to to help kids like that out too. Yeah, to have a heart for helping other people. Yeah, right. Which kind of goes hand in hand at the at the end of the story. Let's talk about what happened on that day. He had an asthma attack, and he's had asthma attacks before. Correct. I guess we should set the scene here for the listeners as far as your family arrangement. Mm -hmm. You and Brandon's mother. Becky have divorced, I understand. Yep, yep. Okay. So Brandon and Aaron live with Becky and uh, their stepfather, Chris. Correct, yep. And then you have married Wanda. Correct. So this was at their home when this happened. Who was there when it happened? Um, it was just Aaron. It's 14 so it was just the two of them home. Yeah. Okay. And can you just take us through You know what happened that day? Well, get prior to it all taking place, um, things were fairly normal. They uh, wanted to uh, get something to eat. Um, they picked something up at the restaurant that they chose to go to and brought it home, had supper, 
nothing out of the ordinary. And then uh, Becky and her husband wanted to go quick run an errand. And so, you know, this is right around 7 8 o'clock, so to speak. And that's when, it went after they left, they had been gone probably about 10, 15 minutes. And then Becky had received a phone call from Aaron saying that Brandon was having troubles. And naturally, she did whatever she could to get back to the house and she called 911. And. It, from what I believe, Aaron also had tried to call 911 too, and I suppose through the commotion, got he disconnected or whatever. But either way, that there was 911 was being called from either one of them. So, so um, as it went down, which really is amazing when I stop and I think about it, because teenage boys, kids. They're in each other's room, you know, they have separate rooms and usually on a gaming device, on a headset, different things like that. So when Brandon was having problems breathing, he, you know, yelled for Aaron that he was having problems. And I'm guessing it must have been something he hadn't experienced before because normally it's, where's my inhaler, you know, and I'll... He just would go and get it wherever he had it at. And he yelled for Aaron. And amazingly, Aaron heard him. Because, like I said, normally they're gaming, doing their things on their headsets and stuff like that. And Aaron got him, got got his inhaler, and gave it to him. And he took his inhaler, and it wasn't working. So their next step is that they have a nebulizer as well, which... You also put the same medication in a breathing machine, but you're getting a better quality of the medication into your into your system, and it's that much better to open up the airways for you. And by the time it was all set up, Brandon already knew that something was going on differently, and he, at that point he was really struggling on taking a breath and he and he just pushed it away and then that's when he uh collapsed and um, stopped breathing and aaron was still the only person there with him right yep so that's when aaron had called his mom and they called 911 and aaron started uh, performing cpr on him as soon as he knew that he wasn't breathing and having the problems that he was having um, and and did did so until paramedics got there. But by the time he they had arrived, he he was already uh, unconscious at that point. Right, yeah, right? absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Aaron was kind of amazing um, through the whole thing. I I don't know how many people, including myself, um, I've been in a similar situation to this years ago, and I froze in the moment. But fortunately, I wasn't home alone and had other d- guidance. However, he he didn't. He he kind of took over and knew what he had to do. And amazingly, he never he never was certified CPR. His brother Brandon and his mom were, and he he had been at CPR courses before, but never took it. Um, just being there with them and observing what they were doing, but never took it himself. So 
I'm guessing that helped him out a lot, just observing what they were doing, even though he wasn't certified. So, yeah, he uh, he did that. And uh, his mom actually, they, they weren't very far away from where their house was at either. And they were able to get there just as the paramedics got there. And, you know, his mom was hysterical, obviously, not expecting... You hear things, but you don't comprehend it until you see it. And, you know, she she was hysterical. And Aaron, she, Aaron told her, he's like, Mom, I got this. And continued doing, you know, what he needed to do. And Paramax got there shortly then and took over and and then uh, took him in route to the hospital. Then. Aaron sounds pretty amazing. He is very amazing. I couldn't be more proud of him in this moment and him going through this whole process has been i was very scared on how he would take this that's one of the questions i want to ask you later so we'll we'll definitely follow up on right. that it's it's interesting though that and i've had this i've had the same conversation with some people some of the other people that i've interviewed on this show who have been through extremely unusual situations and you never know, even regardless of the training that you've had, you right. never know how you're going to react in an emergency situation until it f actually happens. Right. And that's when you find out. And that's obviously Aaron is one of those people that is able to uh, react calmly and just do what needs to be done. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> nothing. Like I said, nothing. I, uh, would have ever expected uh, a 14 year old to do what he did. I mean, I'm just, I'm speechless when it comes to it, other than I'm just proud of him for doing what he did. So Brandon was taken to the hospital and. Yeah, um, he was en route. Um, at this, at that time, that's when I got the phone call from his mom. Uh, you know, she was upset, obviously, and told me that briefly, Brandon had an asthma attack, um, he was taken by ambulance. And at that point, and I, I live about 40 minutes away from where, they are, where they're at, and so Wanda and I got in the car, jetted towards Bismarck and uh, the, the hospital that they were going to. And so, yeah, they took him to the first hospital, which part of me is frustrated. I don't know the protocol of how they determine which hospital they go to. However, the hospital that they took them to does not have a pediatric unit. So they get them there and, you know, there is, they assess them. They, they're going based on history, you know, that it was asthma or whatever. And to me, I think there was a lot of, in my, in my mind, it may have been wasted time, but I understand also that they're trying to eliminate the possibilities of other things of what could have taken place. And you mean they thought this may have been something other than an asthma attack? Well, they 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 did come to us and tell us that that uh, he they knew that he didn't overdose on something. And Brandon doesn't have a history of remotely doing anything like that, um, but. In my mind, I think they wanted to eliminate it as well, you know, because, you know, they're going off of what we're saying, but also 
maybe not understanding how asthma could be this serious, like, you know, knowing that he had his inhaler, knowing he had a, a nebulizer there. I, I really honestly think that they're, they, they did check for other things. And to me, some of that t- time was wasted on, on it, but I'm not a doctor. That's not my profession. Yeah. They um, have their protocol. They have to yeah, go through. Right. right. And the, the interesting thing too, though, is that they might have to go through this and they may, in some situations, they would have a parent saying, no, of course it's not that my kid doesn't do drugs, mm-hmm. but some parents don't know that their kids do drugs. Yeah. There's a conversation while this was going on too, where, you know, uh, Brandon's mom was like to Aaron, is, is there anything, you know, that, you know, that he's been doing and he's like, no mom. He's like, I, I would say something if, if, if that was the case. And the end result is that was not the case. So he went to that first hospital and then. Yeah. And, you know, he was there for probably a couple hours. As we all know, airway is very important. All that, you know, all that is, it's the first thing. But, you know, by the time, you know, they got him hooked up to things there, I suppose, and medications and all that. And then, then it became, they had to transport him to the next hospital. So, of course, there's time to arrange that and go through all of whatever they need to do to get that lined up. and The, the bureaucracy. Yeah. And so then they uh, took him to the second hospital, which does have a pediatric unit. And again, you know, and as a parent, you're, you, we were able to go and see him in the emergency room at the first hospital. And I did my damnedest to prepare for what I was going to see in his stage because I'd been there before um, taking him to the ER when he's had problems breathing with, with asthma. And that's usually when it's been the nebulizer isn't helping much. You can just tell that he's struggling breathing and we will take him in and then they do other treatments with them and a lot of times it's uh he may have pneumonia or something like that too because they also get that pretty quick and get us you know some prednisone for that and uh the steroids also help to open up that airway and and get rid of the help get rid of that infection and stuff too and this wasn't the case um He uh, was just laying there, and uh, hooked up to a lot of machines, and I tried preparing myself for that, but you can't, so, but at that point, I was optimistic that We'll get this figured out. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. 
It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida. So I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. So, yeah, when they realized that he needed to uh, be transported, they took him over there to the second hospital and... Uh, it took him quite a while to get him situated in his room and hooked up. And then they did their own testing, different things to, I suppose, gather their own information as well. As as well as the other information that they had been given from the other hospitals as well, too. Probably a lot of that was duplicated, I would say. Could have think. been, yeah. The night seemed like forever. You know, getting there at the first hospital at around... I think it was probably around 8.30, somewhere in there. By the time we got to see him the second time, when he was at the second hospital, it was super late. It had to have been like midnight by the time he we got to see him there. We had family there. Both of our sides of the family are very involved with the kids and aunts, uncles, and grandparents, and cousins, and so we did get to see him then, and so after there was really nothing else, that he was pretty much 
stabilized. Um, and we were waiting on more tests. It was a late night already, and pretty much everybody except for the parents, we were still there. And it was about 3, 3.30 in the morning. So that had been on the 14th of June. The nurse came out and, and said, uh, we just did some tests. He needs a, a pediatric neurologist. And I'm just like, okay, so what, what's the problem here? I'm thinking, I live in a town. There's, It's kind of like... Uh, we have two cities. There's a river that separates us, and together we're probably 100, 120,000 people. Two hospitals. They're not small by any means. And so I'm thinking, oh, pediatric neurologist, what's, what's the problem? And she's like, yeah, we don't have one. And I'm like, so now what? And she's like, well, we need to fly them out. I know this whole thing is serious, but getting to this level of seriousness is is taking it to a whole different level and never ever expected to ever have to think that I was going to have to fly my child to somewhere to get the proper care and they told us that there wasn't a pediatric neurologist even in the state of North Dakota and then we had somebody on Facebook try to correct us that there's one in Grand Forks and I don't know if there is, there's maybe one and clearly not the facility that needs to see Brandon um, because they did a test at the, the second hospital here and to confirm that he needed a pediatric neurologist, they communicated with an actual pediatric neurologist from Washington, DC that looked over his tests on the computer, I guess, and verified that, yeah, that's what he needs. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me right now? You have to speak with somebody in Washington, D.C. to figure out that he needs to go somewhere. Um, I, I, I'm just mind blown on, I think of car accidents, head injuries, kids being involved in it. And you wouldn't have a pediatric neurologist in case there would be a head injury. Um, you're telling me every child is going to have to be flown out, or you know, I, I learned so much about the lack of care for my, for children in the area that we live, and that's one of my other big things is for parents that have kids to know what your facilities have, what they're capable of having. So, uh, yeah, um, I woke up Brandon's mom because her and her uh, husband were staying in like kind of like a family family room there at the hospital. And I woke her up and said, hey, I said, they want to fly Brandon out. We need to decide where we want to take him. And we chose the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. They're pretty much the top hospital in the United States. World famous, yeah. Yeah. And to me, I don't understand you know how big and great they are because even though they're 450 miles away i hear people going to rochester all the time going to rochester for this rochester for that and so to me it's like i don't i didn't grasp on how special the place was and i guess when it comes down to it i was very fortunate that it was an option for us because even the results that came out of this it, i would have I wouldn't have wanted to go anywhere else. And that was 
something I know I can go to sleep at night knowing that we did everything possible for him. And I know that that facility did everything possible for him as well. So he went there that night or when, when did he fly? Yeah. When we, uh, when I got the, like I said, it was about three thirty in the morning when I was told he needed to fly out. And they told me that I said, well, how fast are you thinking about getting him out of here? And they said, if everything goes right, he can be out of here in the next three, four hours. And they will allow one parent to go with. And I had no problems with his mom going. I just knew that if she was going, I was going to pack a bag quick and head in that direction and try to get there as soon as possible and try to be there when they got there or at least shortly afterwards. So you would just go to the airport and take the next flight? Well, I, I actually drove. Um, like I said, it's about a, it's, it's about a seven-hour drive from where we live. You know, and we had other arrangements. We had, I had to drive in that direction anywhere to where I live to get clothes, pack a bag, and um, I got two dogs, and you're trying to arrange for somebody to take care of them because I knew it was going to be a time before I was going to be back. So my my wife and I got in the car and just started driving, and I was probably... 45 minutes away from Rochester, and I got a phone call from his mom saying that there wasn't any room on the flight for her. They had too many doctors, um, equipment. His mail flew their plane to Bismarck. So she was hysterical again, you know, and I felt horrible. Because you had already left and had already driven six or seven hours, and she could have come with you if you had known that. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I mean, or, or her family, I, you know, and that I don't know if she would have been able to leave Brandon's side either. Cause we wanted somebody with him at all times. We don't want to leave him alone, but I would imagine somebody in the family could have, you know, would have probably stayed with him. So she would have been able to her and her husband could have been leaving at the same time as we, you know, we did too. So other arrangements could have been made and, I was crushed for her, knowing that now I'm 45 minutes away, and he he actually had just gotten to the airport at like at 11:30 in the morning, so the three four hour timeline really didn't go like planned, and so it, it's about a two hour flight with their plane from Bismarck to the Mayo Clinic, so like I said, I actually beat him there by 45 minutes and uh, was there when he got there. So I mean. I was happy for my situation that I was there, that he was... Right, you're still with him. Yep, and uh, even though nobody was with him on the flight, um, that, that, that that was out of our hands. So. so, yeah, he got to the Mayo Clinic, and, you know, I was greeted with a doctor there. Um, she was amazing. I'm, I'm nervous as can be, uh, you know, because I... This is a severity on a whole different level for... For a parent to think that, why am I here? Why why is it this bad? And you've had no sleep either all night, right? No, I had actually been up since 5.30 Thursday morning. Oh, man. And yeah, because, I mean, uh, that's what time I get up for work. Uh, we got the phone call at 8.30 that evening at the hospital until the wee hours of 
you know, early Friday morning and then jetted and, you know, but your adrenaline is running so, so, so much that that's the last thing you're thinking about is, is sleeping. Even though your body wants to shut down, you want to sleep. But, right. But your, your brain's um, going hundred miles an hour. Exactly. Yep. So yeah, we got there and, uh, you know, the, like I said, the staff there was phenomenal, you know, and my first question obviously is, is he going to be okay? And they basically kind of told me that there's nothing that they see as of now that would indicate that he wouldn't be okay to just remain optimistic until they can gather their information and get a better evaluation of what what's really going on. So at that point I was still very hopeful and thinking that this might be a long road to recovery or maybe things may be a little different, but we'd still have Brandon. So that's uh that getting to Mayo. So the time between that is Thursday at, you know, let's say 8, 8.30 in the evening till one thirty in the afternoon Friday is by the time he, in my mind, got the proper care. So when did Becky arrive? They got there probably, I think it was about 7, 7.30 that evening. And the whole time I'd been giving her pretty much updates uh, as things have been going on through the day. Things actually were looking, in my eyes, good through the day. I was giving her good feedback. They were already starting to slowly wean him off of certain medications. So I'm like, well, that's got to be a positive. And they're telling me that's, that is good, that you know we're not having to keep giving them different things to stabilize him he stabilized and were able to take away certain things was he conscious during this time could you talk to him not not at all he never did come conscious this whole the whole time so yeah we just uh, you know stayed by his side gave them updates and you know i was giving them great updates i didn't ever want to give them false information to make it sound like it's going better than it is, because I wouldn't want that either. I just would want to know the truth of what's going on. And I honestly thought things were going in the right direction based on every once in a while he would cough. So it's telling me that they, they, and they would tell me that there's parts of the brain that signs that he's still able to make those breathing motions like that, because there's certain things they do check for if there's, a head injury or a brain damage, you know, the different levels of the brain and what they do. So it was very comforting knowing that, that there was still that hope there, that there is a possibility of recovery and whatever that recovery is, the end result was that we would have Brandon. And, uh, so they got there and, uh, they did a shift change at the hospital and from kind of how we were expecting it to go is that they were going to kind of let him go, let him rest for a day or two before they did anything drastic to him. 
And so we thought it would be a, a, at the very least there would be just it'd be just a, kind of like a, a calm couple of days of letting him, the brain his brain heal you know and just let it be before they did anything kind of drastic to do any other further tests that would maybe put more stress on him. And uh, when they did a shift change, and we weren't really prepared for the plan that they had, the doctor that came in said that, well, right now he's on medication to help him prevent having seizures because that's what they believe that he actually may have had too along the way is a seizure because of the lack of oxygen. So they said what we need to do is we need to take that medication away so we can get a proper EEG reading. And that's what that does is it measures the brain waves, the activity that's going on in the brain. And they said, but when we take it away, it should take about six hours for there to be any signs that he hasn't had the medication so that, that there should be about a six hour window before we even would know anything and they so they took the medication away from him and within like 20 minutes he had a seizure and we we took it very hard because we weren't prepared for what they were going to do we, we in our minds we we're thinking Next day or so is going to be just let him be. And now after having a conversation with the doctor that evening or later, later on along the line and asking him why they did what they did, I have a better feeling on it now. At that time I was very, we were all very upset because we felt that they rushed into it. But Later the next evening, he did explain to us that said nothing that we did do harmed Brandon, but we did need to know what was going on with Brandon in order to do, treat him effectively. And without having that information, they couldn't have done the next step. And otherwise, we were pretty much just prolonging it. It wouldn't have mattered if it would have been the next day the results probably were going to be the same on how how it took place. Later that evening, we had a neurologist come in, pediatric neurologist come in and, and basically tell the family that he, his bedside matter was horrible. I think he just does his job and does his job. He do, does it well, but he doesn't have that bedside manner on how to present something. Basically, he had the, a meeting with the family right there and just uh, pretty much said that Brandon was brain dead. And I'm going, are you kidding me right now? Like, we went from earlier when I got here being optimistic, and now we're you're going, you're throwing brain dead at us? And we were all hysterical, and, uh, and I asked him, you know, how do you know that? And he goes, well... You, they never know exactly on how much brain damage is done until they do an MRI. Um, but based on um, what he had been through, 
the different tests and the results that they got back other than the MRI at that point um, and history of other patients, I think he just knew. I think he knew he didn't want to sugarcoat it. However, then you talk to the next doctor and they're like, but we don't know until we do the MRI for sure. So our emotions went on this roller coaster of going, all right, be optimistic to this one saying he's brain dead. And the next doctor coming in and saying, but we don't know for sure until we do an MRI. So now your hopes go up a little bit more. And we were just exhausted with the up and down. I mean, I'm all for honesty, but in my opinion with the, the, the neurologist that came and talked to us, he may have, he could have came across a little bit different. And You think maybe, maybe he was trying to manage your expectations and if he kind of gave you the worst case scenario and it turned out to be not that bad, maybe that would have been better or. And, and possibly, I, I don't know. Um, however, you know, at this point, you know, our, our family's back here in Bismarck, and it was just uh, the parents there, and then I think uh, Becky's mom and dad were there as well, I think. So at this point, I'm like, do I call my folks? You know, do I need to have them come here? And I asked him, plain and simple, and he said, yeah. You do. And I couldn't make that call. I couldn't. So he actually himself called my mom. And and then when I talked to her afterwards, she herself said, boy, that guy couldn't have been more cutthroat on what was going on. And it was very unfortunate because everybody else there, I mean, there's a way of coming across even if you know the truth of what's going on, there's a way of coming across and explaining it to somebody in a little bit more of a compassionate way of revealing it to, to somebody. I mean, I, I know good, bad news is never great to hear, but there's, there's still a better way of dropping the bomb, so to speak. So um, at that point we had family coming and um, this would have been Friday evening when we when when this all took place and they wanted to get him stabilized again for the next couple of days to do an MRI on that following Monday so that the, the Saturday and Sunday were pretty much um pretty quiet nothing was really changing sometimes he would get a fever stuff like that but it was everything was pretty much well managed um he was stable just just basically waiting now for the big day was that monday when they did the mri um this whole time and aaron was there you know and i'm trying to keep life with him somewhat normal take time with him to just kind of get away they had like a teen lounge there where they had like foosball stuff like that and so we'd break away in the evening and, you know, go down and hang out there for a few hours and and just to try to have some normalcy and also know that, hey, we're still here for you too. It's not, we understand that there's there's more to it than that. And, uh, but, you know, the whole time he wasn't very, it just seemed like he was like in shock the whole time. Like his, he was always worried about everybody else, like, 
Dad'll be okay. Mom, it's okay. It'll be fine. Very optimistic, but uh, he never had that breakdown moment. And it wasn't until it would have been probably, might have been that Saturday. Him and I were in the, the teen room, and there's somebody else playing foosball. So we just kind of sat at a table and just started talking. And I said, how are you doing, you know? Uh, I said, you, you know, it's okay to let it out, cry, whatever you got to do. If you're mad, it's okay. You can you can tell Dad. You can... We all understand that this isn't easy, and it's definitely not easy for you either. So it wasn't until then he fi- he fi- I finally got him to break down on me. And as a parent, you never want to see your child have to break down, be emotional. And at this point, I was actually kind of happy that he was coming out somewhat. In a weird way. I mean, like I said, you don't want to see your child crying or anything like that. But at this point, he needed to let it some of this frustration. It out. was the healthy thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And finally, he uh, he goes, Daddy's like, I, I need to tell you something. And I'm just like, Aaron's usually not one that if he's got something to say, he'll tell you. And if it's. He's, he usually doesn't hold much back. He's just, that's just the way he is. So when he, he started that whole line, he's like, Dad, I got something to tell you. And I'm just like, I, uh, I better be, get, be prepared for what he's got to tell me because obviously he's been holding something in. And he's like, before Brandon went down and, and stopped breathing, um, he told me he loved me. And uh, he goes, Dad, I think he told me because he wasn't. He knew he wasn't coming back. And so I thought, one, holy cow, how have you been able to keep this in? Two, to have the uh, in intelligence to pick up on that showed me that he seen something in Brandon that wasn't uh, it was very different from any other time before but then the little man that he is goes dad uh, we can't tell mom yet Uh, she can't handle it right now I said, okay. I said, uh, I won't I won't tell mom until you're ready. It wasn't until uh, the MRI, they did the MRI on Brandon, and they took us in a conference room, put all these images up on the screen that they had on there, and... Uh, we were in there in a conference room, probably with like, well, it was just the parents and I, just the parents. So it was Becky, Chris, uh, myself, and Wanda. Aaron was not in there, and then we had probably a staff of 
probably like 15 doctors and nurses that were in there. Um, some of them with the, they have a, a care team there also. So, believe it or not, the neurologist that on that Friday evening that didn't really have the bedside manner, he wasn't involved in any of this. <laughs> I think we had made it aware that we weren't happy with how he kind of presented things. And they had a other, you know, they have a, a staff of them, a team of them. And so they showed the difference of normal brain and Brandon's brain and showed that there was very little activity left. Um, at this point, I kind of had believed already that that was the result. And there are a few things along the way of just the neurologist uh, on that Friday evening being kind of just open and saying it. Things kind of set in on that point. My conversation with Aaron, I wanted to be wrong. That led me to it, and then I had a... Um, they were doing some testing with uh, one, of, one of the doctors who was doing some tests that they do, different tests that test the, the depths of the brain before we went into the MRI meeting. And, and I was at the, the bedside and watching what he was doing, and he was very good at explaining to me what he was doing without telling me the results but being honest with me and so as he was doing the different tests like he if you even though that you're unconscious um if you put like a like a, a cotton swab like like towards the the eye the eye will still have a reflex regardless of where you're at and there wasn't um they did other a couple other tests and they weren't he wasn't responding either and at that point i looked at him and he just you know he said i'm sorry and and i i knew so we went into the meeting and they revealed that that was the case so we got down to the point of you know how how do we tell aaron and um we felt it was best to tell him with just him and not other family that was there. So some of the doctors had cleared out. So it wasn't so intimidating when he came into the conference room. And, and I said, well, I think it's important that everybody knows exactly what he's gone through. And at that point is when I told everybody there that his conversation with Brandon so that the, the care team also knew what he has inside of him, what he's been keeping in. And, you know, of course his mom was there and I told her and, and I said, he didn't want you to know because he didn't want to put any more stress on you. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the room when I told everybody. And uh, that uh, that's when we brought him in and we told him. Um, and the staff there is something that they just are amazing. And a small example is 
we didn't want Aaron to have the what they have the the survivor survivor's guilt of could I have done more? Why was it him? You know, what did I do wrong? And they're like, well, the way we need to present this is is that had he not done what he did, Brandon wouldn't have made it to where he is at today. We wouldn't have gotten the extra time with Brandon. And then the end result is Brandon probably wouldn't have been able to donate either. So because of his acts, even though Brandon wanted to donate, he may not have that option had Aaron not been able to do what he did to get him to where he was at and be at the facility that he was at as well. So so that's how we, we did. We presented it to him in that way that, you know, he was upset, but um, he took it again very well. Like I said, I couldn't imagine being in his shoes as much as people would go, you are in his shoes, but everybody's different. And being at the age of 14 and being what he had to do in that split second, I can probably say that I don't know if I would have been able to respond the same way as he did. So, yeah, that's what got us to that point. We uh, we were asked then, of course, that... Um, if we wanted to donate uh, and the conversation came up where Brandon had recently had a conversation with his mom. She had seen the donor part on her driver's license and um, he asked what that was about and she explained to him that if something were to happen to me, um, I, I give them the okay for me to be a donor if they can donate my organs to other people. Well, Brandon's response to that was well, why wouldn't everybody do that and then of course she explained to him that not everybody's comfortable with that and 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 whatnot and everybody's got different beliefs on that and well he's like well if i when i have my license he goes i'll be a donor so there's several things along this way that i don't ever want to think of it as, as that there was a bigger plan for him because I don't want to think that way, but it's hard to not think that there was a better, better, a bigger plan for him in life. I couldn't be more proud because, uh, what he did in his lifetime is, uh, more than I could ever do for him. And, it's hard to be upset about that because of how much good he like did come out of it despite Brandon passing away. Is that part of what helps you get through this is knowing that some good came of it? Absolutely. Um, if I didn't think of those things, um, the possibility of hearing his heartbeat someday, It'd be easy to shut down. What was he able to donate? He donated his heart, which um, went to a 59-year-old male. So somebody, somebody's dad, grandfather, um, was able to, hopefully that 
you know, they're able to live a longer life and experience things uh, that possibly wouldn't have ever done. And with the heart, too, it's only got a four-hour survival rate outside the body. So that was part of the the process is lining up all the donors and having them set up to made the arrangements for the, that to all to take place too was, was crucial. Then, um, he donated his liver that went to a 10 year old girl, which that was the one that hit me the biggest because nothing against anybody that's older or even including my age. Um, I've lived life. A 10-year-old child hasn't. They haven't had the opportunities that I've had. Or maybe the 59-year-old um, gentleman. So that hit me hard when she, you know, the 10-year-old, I seen that the 10-year-old girl had gotten his liver. And then um, I believe I, the other, the other, there was a, I believe a female that had received his pancreas and a kidney. I, I don't remember the age on that. And then also there was another person that had re received his other kidney. And then on top of that, they were able to, we, we donated bone tissue. And we were thinking like bone marrow type of thing. Well, actually with the bone tissue, they, they can freeze it for up to five years. And he could help hundreds of people over that period of time. That's incredible. Cause like if they have like a, a like a child has a cleft palate, they can, uh, they use that to, um, fix, fix that. Um, so there's numerous things of with the bone tissue of what they can do with it. So not only did he affect the four recipients of his organs, but, the bone tissue will continue to do things for people for however long, for five years at least, um, until it's gone at least. So, a lot of Brandon is living on. Right, it is. So, knowing that he was passing, um, he didn't officially pass until. Um, that Wednesday evening, at, I think it was 8.34 p.m. that he passed away, officially on paper. Because what, learning through the donating part of this was a learning experience in itself for, for us uh, as a group. Because you watch TV and somebody who was in a motorcycle accident or whatever, where they take and say, well, okay, this one person wanted to be a donor. We're going to donate this to this person over here across the hallway. It doesn't work that way, especially for him being a juvenile. They have to do when you donate after what they consider is that, that you have no more brain activity they do a test 12 hours afterwards and they do the same tests of checking the depths of the brain to confirm that there is no activity going on there. And after that 12 hour period, 
an adult, they can declare that, okay, they're, they're cleared officially to donate. Well, with Brandon being a juvenile, there's actually two 12-hour tests. So until that second, so there it goes, then you have to wait another 12 hours, and it's a different doctor that has to do it, and it gets drug out quite some time. And then once it, it, that those tests are confirmed and done with, then they can start the process of finding donors. And that process can take a little bit, depending on. Um, Brandon was, blood type was O, because I'm an O negative, his mom's O positive. So with him being a blood type of O, he's a universal donor to anybody. So obviously it was a, a lot speedier process to find matches people that needed it and to make arrangements for fly doctors in or patients in or whoever is uh next on the donor list and life sources the donating business that lined everything up there and um so they had a team of people there after that and we're working with us working with lining up the the recipients and it was then once they find everybody we're given an eight hour window of when they will take brandon then down to the operating room so once we knew that they had it we had eight hours with him and it had been Friday evening at 8 o'clock, 8.30, somewhere in there, that we said our final goodbyes to him and uh, walked him to the elevator that takes him to the operating room. And that was uh, the last time we seen him then. But the, the staff and the facility itself um, didn't matter if it was a nurse the valet driver downstairs um amazing people the the best way i can explain to you is the hospital in itself is magical they definitely do personality tests with all their nurses and doctors for the most part because we had some of the you know we were there with brandon so he got there on a friday and basically we said our goodbyes on a friday um when he went to the elevator so we were there a week felt like we were there like a couple months and but in that short amount of time doctors and nurses became like family people nurses that weren't um on call came back that evening to say goodbye to us say goodbye to brandon even after they, just the care that they took for him, even though he's declared passed away, they're still giving him baths, um, talking to him. It just uh, showed the compassion that they had in their jobs and um, treated him like he was still there. I think that makes such a, it's such a huge difference. You know, when you're a person first and a medical professional second, 
Yep. And I we asked them several times, how do you do your job? How do, how do you do this? And they said there are certain things that uh, are hard. But with working with kids, we learn a lot. We also have seen kids do amazing things, too, where the outcome isn't always like this. So there are times where it's rewarding, and that keeps them going. And Well, they also know that they're part of what they do is making this experience not as bad for you as it could have been. Right. Right. And and that's then that's what I said. I said considering the outcome of this, if it's possible, you guys made this experience a whole lot easier. This whole thing has opened my eyes to a lot of different things um from asthma to donating to care in in your in your town and my biggest thing with the letting people know is just be aware of that so be be aware you know when as soon as you think that you know something about a particular disease or the asthma it's like if you don't do your homework or ask the right questions you're not going to get the right answers so be more focused and aware of what uh, what you can do and educate yourself as, as the, the best you can. Be, be proactive. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't want any other families to have to go through this. And if it saves one person or one family for not having to go through this, then it, it's a success to begin with. Aaron has asthma as well. Mm-hmm. How has he kind of processed this, knowing, seeing what his brother with asthma, what happened, mm-hmm. and now, wow, I have asthma too. What what does he think of this? You know, he doesn't talk about it, and I, I've we've comforted him enough to know that. We're doing everything possible that we can to prevent this from happening to other. I, I know he knows that we're being proactive. I know that. You're definitely better prepared now than you were before, right? Right, which sucks as a parent because you feel like you failed already once. And uh, that's hard to live with, too. But with him, Sometimes he he's a little bit more honest if he's having problems too. Brandon, a lot of times, I think he got to the point where he got used to it a lot, and when he thought he was having a problem, it may have been more serious than what what he let out to be. And I think it's just that the person adapts, like this is my normal. And I don't know if 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 that took place as well, where he was having more problems than he was leading out to be, he didn't appear to be. Um, but I also, you build a tolerance. It's kind of like a pain tolerance where, I mean, imagine 16 years of doing this and I'm guessing his breathing tolerance was probably higher than what yours or mine would be. 
that might have been his new normal and it just got to a point where it was you gotta let it go to that bad too where Aaron he'll come to us and he's like you know I've used my inhaler twice today and this is not getting any better you know we talked to him about it and and we're just hey if you think you're having any problems you need to let us know so we can be on it instantly and are you hesitant to leave Aaron by himself now all the time all the time his mom he you could tell he's getting annoyed by it because his mom says he's, she's like the helicopter parent where she's like I feel like I can't go and do an air now and without thinking something could happen and imagine him being home by himself and then it happens because we, we we played the scenario out what if Brandon would have been home by himself and it could have easily very well happened and we were just fortunate that he was not home by himself and you know, I see him every other weekend, and on Wednesdays I, I um, have Aaron in the evening, and I tell you what, it's damn hard to let him go. It's, uh, everything's different. Picking just him up, not Brandon and him. When I drop him off at home, it's hard, because this took place on a Thursday and I dropped them off Wednesday night at their mom's and I told Brandon and Aaron that I'd see them Friday because that was your weekend it was Father's Day weekend too so that won't be the same either so Things are different, definitely. Um, now I just, uh, each day, you know, I act as if Brandon is still with us. May talk to him spiritually. I have a thing right now where when I go visit him, obviously uh, the grass and stuff is was tore up where he's buried at and... I brought in some black dirt and grass seed and filled it all in looking nice. And now it's kind of, uh, if it's not daily, it's every other day of, I, I take water up in jugs and put it in a watering can and water his grass. And just to show that, uh, he's not forgotten. And, uh, just because he's not physically with us doesn't mean he's not part of my daily life. He always will be. Yep. The other day, I had cleaned out, like, his toothbrush. And uh, as simple as throwing out his toothbrush just felt like I was moving on. And uh, I didn't want him to think that it was something easy to do. I felt horrible for doing it. And uh, it's just things like that that it feels like... Uh, I just don't want him to feel like 
I'm moving on. That's part of getting through it. Right. I've heard the phrase after, after a loved one has passed, like even weeks or even months after that something can happen and you're ambushed by grief. Mm-hmm. That sounds like one of those situations. Right. Yeah. It does. Uh, it sneaks up on you. It doesn't, doesn't matter if it's a song comes on the radio pictures. I've gotten a little better at certain songs affect me. We had our certain songs that we, uh, we liked together. And then, uh, <laughs> Certain things happen that uh, you feel like, is he there with you? So you try taking that all in as well. It was, uh, you know, just certain weird things happen where the other day he, uh, well, he's, he's big into Batman. And Aaron and I were paying for something and I, I gave him a $10 bill. And anyways, I got some cash back and... And earlier in the day, I had given Aaron a couple dollars to do something. And he goes, Dad, did you just see what, what's on this dollar bill? And I said, what's that? He goes, someone was drawing a Batman as the face on the dollar. And he goes, I think we should keep that. And so we did. And, you know, it's little things like that that pop up. And, and you never know when something like that's going to come up either. Yeah, exactly. And I took a picture um, the other day at work. I was taking a picture of something specifically, and one of his favorite movies is Fast and the Furious. Well, where we live, there's a gentleman that had done up his car, like the green one in the very first Fast and the Furious movie, and it was one of Brandon's favorite cars. And I went to go take a picture of like I said, this particular thing and in the very corner of it on the street is that car going by. And I didn't even notice it when I took the picture. It wasn't until later that evening when I, I showed Wanda and I go, you got to be kidding me. And she was like, what's that? I said, they took this picture and I said, here's that green car that's in the background. And there's like one in the whole town. So it's, it's certain things like that, that I go, that I hold on to that he's there and he's, you know, my biggest thing is that I haven't dreamt about him yet and I just want to know that he's okay. And I hear other people that have dreamt about him and I get kind of upset because it's like, why, why am I not dreaming about him? That's my biggest thing is I just want to know that he's okay. You've been seeing a psychologist to help you process through this. And I think Aaron is as well. How has that helped? Well, what, how it originally took place is I, I'd been seeing my psychologist, and it happened to be the same one Brandon has seen was seeing too. Just nothing uh, specifically. Just uh, a lot of teenagers go through hell these days, and I just wanted to know that if he didn't feel comfortable talking to mom and dad, that he had an out to talk with somebody and. They built a relationship like amazingly. You know, Brandon had been seeing him for like the last three years, um, and I had been seeing him for that and then some. And so he became actually 
very connected with us. And when Aaron told me about his incident with Brandon, part of our routine on every other Wednesday is that he would have went to go see his psychologist as well. And Aaron came to me and said, uh, does Brandon still have his appointments? And I said, well, yeah. I said, he's got his appointments, but obviously he's not going to be going to him, you know. And he's like, well, do you think I could take over Brandon's appointments? And I said, absolutely. So, yeah, so right now I'm hoping that they can build a relationship like what Brandon and him had. And he already knew him just because that was our routine every other Wednesday. We went there. He would kind of BS a little bit with Aaron as well. So it wasn't like Aaron was going to a complete stranger. So it was, one, it was easy because Aaron offered. They wanted to go. And I think it was because something Brandon did. And on top of it, recognizing that maybe it would help him as well. And so, and that's another, just one of those moments where I was just proud that he was willing to take that without even having to suggest it. So, yeah, we've been um, doing that. And um, and actually, he was just there this past Wednesday. And like I said, he's doing well. Um, I don't know how he does it. I, I even asked him that. I said, how do you do it? he's like he's like Wanda asked me the same thing and he's just like I'm just proud of you and I just want you to know that you know if you do need to talk don't hesitate you know and we're all going through a shitty thing right now and but Aaron seems like he has the insight and maturity of a much older person that night he turned 14 went from 14 turned 40 that's the best way we we can explain it and I hope it doesn't rob him of the way he feels, you know, in his childhood here. Um, That's got to be part of what helps you know you got to keep going because you got to be there for him. Absolutely, yep. Thanks so much for your time. It's a sad story for several people. It's a happy story mm-hmm. because of right. because of what he was able to do. Right, and that's what I hold on to too. Thanks for listening. My goal for each episode is to bring you people and stories that you just won't find on other podcasts. If you'd like to discuss this episode or previous episodes with other listeners, you can do that at our private Facebook group at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. I hope to see you in there. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And I'll see you in two weeks where we'll once again be asking the question, what was that like? Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. 
New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.